California. What's up, everybody? Today is Tuesday, September 29th, 2020. This is A Talk in the Attic, and I'm your host, Kirk Ross. How's it going, folks? What's that you say? You're sick of political advertisements, too? Woo, I'm glad I'm not alone on this one. I mean, we're not even into October yet, and we're already being hit with ads for both sides from all angles. Where do I even begin on this subject? First off, I think it's imperative that I highlight the fact that the last six months have been, in and of itself, one giant political circus. So it's not as if we've had any sort of breather going into this election. Politics have crept their way into nearly every aspect of our lives. Even the pastime specifically designed to take our minds off of things like corruption and media bias are part of the parade now. So much so, in fact, that the commercial breaks of sporting events have become one of the few respites from the incessant argument raging on topics from Supreme Court nominations to tax evasion and everything in between. But starting, I don't know, last week, we lost our final frontier of safety when yogurt commercials were replaced by targeted ads about local congresspeople, when Ford commercials were swapped out for Trump versus Biden hit jobs, Two weeks ago, you might have found me yelling at the screen, We get it! You've designed a new Ford Escape! Now I'm likely to shout, Please, Ford, help me escape. AccuClear pregnancy test? Take me away with your 30-second fantasy, in which the young woman holding up your product is only happy and excited about her results? Don't get me wrong, I know pregnancy comes with a lot of joy, but it's not the unbridled, calm sort of joy that AccuClear tends to depict in its commercials. Can we get at least a hint of, oh no, I can't even take care of myself, now I've got a baby to worry about too in your ads? Just for accuracy? I no longer get to see one of my all-time favorite commercials, which still does occasionally find its way in, but a lot less often, and I know this is a bit esoteric, but it's a trailer meant to entice viewers to check out Discovery Channel's streetcar racing show called Street Outlaws Memphis, a program that apparently centers around illegal drag racers in Memphis, Tennessee. Cool. Look, I'll be honest, I'm not above shows like this, not even close, and I'm not exactly a target demographic for this show, true, but it's actually the commercial that has kept me away. Let's be clear, the commercial's only purpose is to draw me in, but somehow it's managed to elicit the opposite effect, at least in my case. Let me give you a little taste of why I find the spot so objectionable. Why this commercial has turned me off to its subject matter, even during a pandemic, which has us down at the very bottom of the barrel of available TV content. By the way, we haven't seen the season finale yet of Skin Wars Season 3, so don't anybody go and spoil that for me, you got it? Here's a sample of the Street Outlaws Memphis commercial. Just when you think you've got it all figured out, that street will come along and throw you a curveball. Quick survey, who here wants to check out Street Laws Memphis after hearing that promo? None of you? Well, good, I'm not alone here then either. For me at least, it's the voiceover that fells the whole spot. I'll repeat it here for posterity. Just when you think you've got it figured all out, the street will come and throw you a curveball. Let's break it down. Okay, the first part. Just when you think you've got it figured out. Okay. I think I can relate to this guy so far. I mean, it's it's almost like he's talking directly into my soul here. Because I've been in a spot where I think I've got it all figured out. But it's never that easy. There's always a but, right? Come on, Street Outlaws voiceover guy, what's the but? 
but the street will throw you a curveball. Wait a minute now, the street is going to throw you a curveball? What sort of backwards analogy confusion are they trying to slip past us here? I thought we were talking about drag racing here, not baseball. So wouldn't it have made more sense there to say something along the lines of, just when you think you've got it figured out, the street suddenly banks left, or maybe it forks, or maybe the roads are slick? Or how about the street will throw a wrench into your plans, like a mechanic? I don't know any racing terms really, but you get my Tokyo Drift. Here's a better drum sequence for the Tokyo Drift pun. I guess what I'm really saying is why bring baseball into this metaphor at all? And by the way, even if I did find myself at the plate against this hypothetical street, doesn't it seem like my best chance of putting the ball in play would actually be against the curveball? After all, we're a street racing gang, not a baseball team, so I'm likely using, what, a tire iron as my bat? A muffler, maybe, or something even more cumbersome? I mean, I can't imagine getting around on the street's fastball with whatever makeshift bat I've scrounged up in this scenario. At least a curveball would be slow enough to give me some chance to make contact, right? Frankly, if I were the manager of the street who was pitching and he threw a curveball against an unsuspecting grease monkey, I'd pull them out of the game immediately. Hit the shower, street, I'd shout. Maybe my dad, legendary highway I-75, was right, Skipper. Maybe I should have just stuck to being a motorway instead of chasing my dreams of big league glory. Just when you think you've got it all figured out, that street will throw you a curveball. Just when I thought I had that commercial figured out, it found two in the bush. But enough about street outlaws Memphis. Enough about mismatched metaphorical mashups. Instead, let's shift gears, I thank you, to the bulk of today's show. But first... Start your engines, and let's start the show. Not to rob the phrase from those wily street outlaws from Tennessee, but the street just threw me a curveball. More specifically, as I was finishing writing the intro, what you just heard, I heard something from the street. The attic windows facing the front yard were open when I heard something that I hadn't heard in more than six months. Brother! Woo! I recognized that voice immediately. More specifically, I recognized the woo! That was the signature howl of one of the greatest woo girls of all time, my brother from another mother, Zach. Like the infamous mating call of the white bell bird, I quickly joined and wooed him back. To what do I owe this surprise visit from my former coworker? To what do I owe this curveball? The reason was simple. He just happened to be in town, so he dropped in. He dropped in! Talk about an artifact from another time, right? The drop-in by a loved one is something that we'd almost forgotten about in this era. News about quarantines and infection rates have all but eliminated the drop-in altogether. And frankly, this was a welcome casualty of the pandemic, at least at first. Oh, Rob, what's up, man? So glad you stopped by at 8 p.m. on a Wednesday during dinner. What can I help you with, man? But as is the case with so many of the little things that we'd grown tired of in life before COVID, or LBC for short... Zach's surprise stopover shined a light on something else I hope to never again take for granted. 
It's been six months since everything changed, which isn't exactly an insignificant amount of time, but it's not that long either. And in this period of time, so many previously commonplace things have become so alien to us and so quickly, haven't they? If you're like me, you likely find yourself cringing and getting a little panicky whenever you see a bunch of people on TV hanging out in crowded rooms, or maybe two strangers kiss, when people on screen will hug their family. It's like, put on your masks, people. If this thing ever really goes away, I'm curious to see how long the pandemic paradigm shift will stay in place. I'd like to believe that I'll be able to see a party in a movie without feeling alarm bells, but I'm not so sure. And there's other things, too. I mean, who else isn't exactly chomping at the bit for movie theaters to open back up? Don't get me wrong, Fast and the Furious 12 looks really fast and super furious. Kind of how I imagined the virus would spread through a crowded movie theater. I won't lie, I quickly came to appreciate the reduced population density in retail stores and takeout spots. Less people at Taco Bell? Wonderful outcome. No more Mexican pizza at Taco Bell? COVID! Back to my unexpected visit from an unexpected friend. Which I only call him that because dudes aren't supposed to meet at the age of 30 and become besties. But that's what happened when we first met and the rest was history. But as is the case for friends across the globe, it had been a while since we'd seen each other. It felt like years, frankly. He looked older than I remember, lines appearing on his chiseled, weathered face, each one telling its own story of battle scars from wars past. Our once palpable rapport now reduced to a distant familiarity. Wait, sorry, I got a little dramatic there. None of that is true. He looked the same. I mean, it hasn't even been a year. Okay, enough of the theatrics. I was happy to see Zach. Jessica was happy to see Zach. We gave him a terribly disjointed tour of the attic space, lots of breaks for laughter, and in a few cases, breaks so I could say, what, you don't think that's funny? We talked about Zach's infant son, his and his wife's first child. He beamed when talking about the enormity of this nine-month-old rabble-rouser, how much he's changing. We exchanged quips about how our own mothers will occasionally recant tales from our infanthood that include impossible feats. My mom tells a story about how I was able to sing the ABCs in perfect pitch at something like 15 months. Zach's wife apparently qualified for the World Walking Championships at just seven months, according to her mother at least. Listen, to all you moms out there, get it together when you're telling us adult children about the feats of our youth. These heirs are surely rooted in unconditional love, but they kind of make you seem like liars. But back to our talk in the attic. Once we were done with the trivial matters, like Zach's newborn son, we arrived at what really is important here, at least in the context of the show, which is to say, the show. What on earth did I do the show about this week, Zach? I asked, which led to some great conversation, but nothing that shaped up into a fully formed idea. But that doesn't mean our talk didn't bear some big, juicy fruits about which we'll dive into now. So let's review the top three takeaways from our surprise sit-down. Takeaway number one, where is the line? Where do we draw the line when we're exterminating vermin? Finally, a question we can really sink our teeth into. This summer, in the dog days of social distancing, I developed quite a rivalry with the common housefly. I'm not sure if it was the monotony of quarantine or what, but I began to hate Every fly that found its way into our home. 
To be clear, I'm not talking about some sort of gross infestation or anything. But still, for the first time in my life, I bought a fly swatter. Which, for those of you wondering, yes, we purchased that at a secondhand store. And it was a difficult purchase for me. Not because of the 50 cent price tag, that's quite a deal, but instead because I was buying this item for the express purpose of eliminating flies from the earth. And there's no hiding your intentions when you're buying instruments of insecticide. And I must say, I became quite adept at murdering these nuisance animals with this newfound fly swatter. At first, of course, I tried the age-old, hey, I'm going to leave a dead fly as a warning to the other flies trick, but to no avail. Let the displayed corpse of this decedent ancestor be a lesson to all of you living louse. Come into this house, housefly, and you shall meet your swift and cold demise. Of course, this never works, does it? Even with an old-timey accent. In fact, an almost processional seemingly began to pay homage to their fallen comrade. Ha ha ha! Paying respect to the dead, you imbeciles! Right here in the belly of the beast, let the mass swatting commence! You'd think they'd be able to see me as a threat, what with that crazy fly vision that we can all imagine in our heads. Something I forgot to mention to Zach while he was here, but I'll share it now, and some of you will probably think I'm making this up, but in early June, I swear to you, I saw a fly that looked exactly like Jeff Goldblum. Coincidence? I'm <laughs> sure. But anyway, when the Great War Against Flies, or GWAF, reached its conclusion, I was not free of insect-based concerns. After a short respite, I began finding occasional ants around the basement entry door. At first, I was handling these things with my thumb like a perp getting booked at the precinct, but even I, a man of bug murders too bountiful to count, found that the thumb technique was too barbaric a method. I ultimately found the source of the issue and took care of things with chemical warfare, the final frontier to which any totalitarian with an iron fist ultimately resorts. And that was the end of the ants. And I didn't so much as lose a single second of sleep worrying about those little buggers. Nor did I with the flies. Even during the hottest wartime action of the Great War Against Flies, GWAF. Why is that? And where does one draw the line? For Zach and me, we had a difficult time identifying any animal past the common insect that we'd be happy to even kill one of, let alone an entire generation of them like we so calmly and coldly perpetrate on the housefly or the common ant. None of you probably feel any different about me now that you know I had a big summer filled with insect murder. But I'd bet you feel a certain kind of way if I shared that I also mowed down a family of monarch butterflies, which isn't true. In fact, we posed the butterfly hypothetical and we both shivered in heebie-jeebies at the very thought of killing one of those majestic beauties. But I mean, isn't that a little vain? What, butterflies are off limits because they're beautiful? But flies are kaput because they're not? Or maybe it's all that anti-fly propaganda they've been shoving down our throats our whole lives. Depending on which elementary school you went to in Essexville, Michigan in the mid-90s, you learned that flies either puke or lay eggs every single time they land. Listeners, where do you draw the line? And I'm not talking about hunting or anything like that. I'm talking about the line you won't cross when indiscriminately murdering large numbers of a creature. Zach and I both stopped at the fly, spider, wasp line. I did ask another friend of mine where his line was, to which he promptly responded, chipmunks are the line for me. Definitely a good line, I said. After all, chipmunks are adorable. No, 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 he protested. My line is after chipmunks. 
A shiver went down my spine as I thanked the universe for not having been born a chipmunk, especially not in Andrew's neck of the woods. Takeaway number two, put your problems on the pavement. To put your problems on the pavement is a coping strategy, nay, a lifestyle, for when things are looking down. The genesis of putting your problems on the pavement goes back four years when Zach and I made a proposal to the execs at our mutual workplace that we would coordinate, organize, transport, set up, host, tear down, and transport back an entire product expo down at Nissan outside of Nashville, Tennessee. And what a debacle the planning of this event turned out to be. First off, when we created the idea, we led with the fact that we would be willing to drive the exhibits and products down ourselves. In fact, this was a key part of the initial pitch to the higher-ups. We'd drive a U-Haul down for something like, I don't know, 1500 bucks, even using weekends to travel so as not to impact our availability during the work weeks. And the proposal was well-received. Fast forward three weeks, and my boss and mentor James called me into his office, and I won't lie. He was upset. He'd never really been upset with me until now. You see, behind the scenes and unbeknownst to us, some other group within our company had taken the reins on planning this big Nissan Expo. The leader of that group was quoted as saying something to the effect of, we're not going to have two sales guys drive down to Nissan in a U-Haul. This isn't some mom and pop operation here. Mom and pop operation? That begs the question, doesn't it? I mean, which one between Zachariah's mom and which one is pop? But armed with this pretentious reasoning and a complete disregard for the fact that we had included this in our proposal because we knew that professional transportation would have costed an arm and a leg, thereby killing the pitch on the spot and dashing our dreams of growing our chances of success at Nissan. Turns out James was upset because the new estimated cost spreadsheet, which neither Zach nor I knew even existed, had landed on James' desk, and our $1,500 U-Haul expense had been replaced by a whopping $23,000 line item noted as, and I quote, white glove delivery and setup. Someone above James came down hard on him for this exorbitant recommendation. Kick, if you can't manage the cost of this thing, then I will he warned. Oh, the irony of being admonished for the very thing we'd worked so hard to message when we actually had control of the project. So, as we had intended in the first place, Zach and me became the loaders, drivers, and unloaders of a 23-foot U-Haul packed to the brim with beautiful West Michigan-produced car parts. All is well that ends well, I suppose, but that doesn't mean that we didn't have fun with the whole situation, ultimately improvising a melodramatic concept around the idea that, quote, when life's a total mess, sometimes it's best to simply drive. Drive, damn it. Drive like you've never driven before. And when you have nowhere else to turn, get behind the wheel and put your problems on the pavement. And this bit took us, I don't know, 300 miles, probably to Louisville, Kentucky. Takeaway number two was brought to you by U-Haul. U-Haul, put your problems on the pavement. Takeaway number three, let's start reconnecting with our friends. So all in all, Zach stopped by for about an hour at the end of the workday on a Tuesday. Right as I was writing the show and as I was feeling kind of hungry, frankly, all the ingredients of a yuck, terrible timing buddy event. But since we'd last seen each other, We'd both undergone so much transformation. I mean, Zach's a bona fide father now. Meanwhile, my hair has grown past my shoulders. I mean, obviously, we've both been pretty busy. And while we did touch on some of the truly transformative experiences we've had since our last face-to-face -face chat, we didn't hang in that zone long. 
quickly we got past that and into reminiscing about all the things we've discussed ad nauseum dozens of times before. And I wondered why we reverted to that. Best I can tell, I believe we went there because right now we're surrounded by enough uncertainty as it is, right? More uncertainty now than ever. So why would we spend our time reconnecting, predicting the outcome of the elections or some other unknown variable when what we're really craving is stability and friendship and memories from times past when everything was less divided and less chaotic? I believe that's why we moved so swiftly through the news and dove right back into the olds. We had a blast catching up on what's changed, but even more fun talking about what hasn't. We're all living in a culture and in a time that highlights rapidly changing narratives, signaled to us via a little red number on our iPhones, which notifies us of a new email or a new scandal or a new Fast and the Furious. But this little red dot and the little white number is doing so much damage to our psychology. It's making us forget that the most important things in life aren't so metamorphic. Making us forget that the things that matter most, our family and friends and our spiritual journey, yeah, while they change too, their essence is actually rooted in stasis. So if you take away one thing from today's episode, folks, I hope it's this. Try to avoid the whirlwind, try to tune out the noise and focus on the steady. And if the current state of things has you a little frazzled, then don't be afraid to pick up the phone and call an old friend. Not to talk about the pandemic or the president or work, but about some of your favorite memories together. And if necessary, make plans to put your problems on the pavement and take a trip together or go see one another. To all my friends, to all my family, I love you so much. Sincerely, I can't wait to reconnect with you in the near future. Much love, y'all. Peace out. I got more than just words. I got more than just words. You bring me songs sweet like the birds. So I got more than I got peace in my mind I got peace in my mind Knowing that we've got the ties that bind Gives me peace in my mind The lights are so much your hat what's making me whole puts a little joy in my soul and I got love in my heart I got love in my heart I promise that no man can tear us apart puts a lot of love in my heart
got more I can give So much more I can give Cause you pour and pour into me over again But I got more I can give Cause lights are so much brighter Deeper